Welcome to Best of Seven presented by The Big Lead. I am Kyle Coster. I am here with Stephen Douglas. We are power ranking winning time episode three, the Los Angeles Lakers vehicle, the Adam McKay project, the glitzy, glamorous, risk-taking drama on HBO. And I have to tell you, Stephen, there is a moment in this episode where Jerry Buss is driving with his daughter and he explains how planes fly. And he says they fall out of the sky and nobody thinks about it, but the wheels gently touch down. Of course, you can't tell the passengers that because they're going to be so scared and risks are worth taking. And without taking risks, you never accomplish anything in life. And I think that's the perfect allegory for that show right now. Kind of a bad monologue that didn't make any sense but i'm not so sure that the wheels are going to land safely on the ground and i'm not so sure that we didn't skid the bottom of the plane in this episode because i was spoiler alert not a huge fan of this one i thought it was by far the weakest effort so far and when we get to rankings we're going to talk about concerns we have going forward but how did you process what i think felt like the slowing of momentum and the enter of concern. Yeah, uh, that scene really stuck out uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, for the plane metaphor, and then for how bad and intentionally bad it looked with them in the car, with the green screen on both sides and behind them. Like, it's just part of this aesthetic where it's kind of supposed to look like it's from the 70s. And I mean, we're past that. We don't need to look like that. We can, our human minds can process uh, Jerry Buss in a, in a car uh, talking to his daughter. You know, we have the technology to film while the car moves. It doesn't need to look that bad. Uh, the changing of the filters from shot to shot is getting a little tiresome, I think. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they're, they're already starting to stretch. So let's start the rankings and a surprise inclusion. Who could have seen this coming? But number seven is Will Ferrell. Now that might be counterintuitive because he's not associated with the project. We know that there was a falling out between him and McKay over not being associated with the project. But maybe, just maybe, it's going to be a win for him because we have real concerns about where this is going. I have to be honest. I was kind of shocked at how much we fell off between the joy of watching episodes one and two to, I felt kind of trapped by this episode. I didn't understand a lot of the motivations. It's very ham handed. It's very over the top. It is a lot to deal with. There's a lot to process. And you said something last week where they're thinking about doing this for three or four seasons. And I let that enter my mind as I was watching Pat Riley doing one of the several weird things he did this episode. <laughs> and I had some real concern. If there's even an audience desire to see it get to this point, because the text is so rich. There are so many stories to tell, but the big broad way that they're all being told is very confusing. It's very disorienting. 
And much like when you watch a sport team and they come out of the gates hot and then they kind of hit like a week long stretch where they struggle. I think we're both hitting the pause button. So Will Farrell, congratulations for making the power rankings on a show you're not on. This episode was a little bit less Jerry Buss centric than the ones that preceded it. Uh, I'm of the mind of maybe we need to go back and get a little bit more bus because that might be where the show's moorings and center operate. And the further we get away from that and the weird world, I'm not so much, I'm not so sure it resonates that well. Yeah. I think, you know, Jerry Buss and Magic Johnson uh, were presented as like the, the two main characters, um, you know, the basketball storyline and the business storyline. And when the further you get away from each of them and the less screen time they get, when they did such a good job with the casting, as we've talked about before, uh, it's just, it's not stuff that people care as much about. Um, and I think the a big problem that Winning Time is going to have is that after every single episode, we have access to the source material, to the true story. We can jump on the internet. We can look up exactly what did happen. And we're going to be scratching our heads, you know, like, why was this choice made? Why was that choice made? And as they stretch it and they also combine different events, um, it's just a little confusing. Uh, one thing that we talked about before, we were, I was trying to figure out who would uh, talk to Magic Johnson in that one scene of the movie premiere. And I only know because I looked up in another recap that was Jamal Wilkes. Um, there's no way to know that's Jamal Wilkes. Um, this show has all these, you know, these McKay cut in uh, goofy graphics, like, oh man, all these asides. And they can't just like put up a big sign that says, that's Jamal Wilkes, you know, use it. So there are all these people that we don't really know. Tell us who they are you know, go over the top, like in the big short when they're uh, Margot Robbie in the bathtub explaining uh, shorting stocks or shorting the housing market or whatever, you know, explain it to us like we're idiots who don't know who was cast as Jamal Wilkes. It stuck out to me in the first few episodes. That I'm like, I, I think there are a couple of things that might get tiresome and we quickly have gotten there. I think you're precisely right the basic blocking and tackling is not being done on some of this stuff in lieu of artistic flourishes and, and it's kind of weird too because nobody is more willing to break the fourth wall and say hey here's yeah. this guy like that would be really helpful and that's kind of like how the show is operating most of the time anyway but why not just throw like a little sign like i, I mean i don't know who jamal wilkes is i don't know him from adam like how am i supposed to know where he factors into the story and that goes into like the whole disorienting factor as someone who's a sports fan of someone who knows the story of the lakers probably better than 85 to 90 percent of the general viewing public if i'm lost i know they're at home saying this doesn't make any sense there's too many characters to keep up on number six it's hair. It's seventies hair. There were so many great hair scenes as we turn to the positive side of this episode, Chick Hearn doing it up big Jerry bus working with his Aquanet, uh, the giant comb over. There was Pat Riley with the seventies mop. 
Now, hair was always going to be a big part of this project going in, actually. And when Magic Johnson goes out to L.A., it was mentioned that his cut mm-hmm. could use a little bit of freshening up. It was a very big uh, plot point in this episode. The best line for me, though, was and I thought, honestly, maybe the best moment of this episode was when they go out to meet with Jerry Tarkanian and Tarkanian talks about how he used to kind of do the comb over and try to hide from what it was, but said it ended up look like a spaghetti bowl and he wasn't (laughs) fooling anyone anyway. So he went down to the zero setting and that way he doesn't feel like a fraud. And he's saying that to Buss's face. And I thought that was like a really cool moment to see Buss not get the best of every interaction as he has to this point. It's kind of like, well, this guy's, you know, he talks a good game, but deep down, like, you know, he is kind of like smoke and mirrors in this veneer of having money when he doesn't. And eventually, you know, we know the story. It's not going to really catch up to him, but likely it should have. And his style did turn some people off, like some more like salt of the earth, hardened people, as we saw that Tarkanian operated in a sphere with a lot more real world gritty grime on it but what were your thoughts what were some of your favorite hair moments and observations from this one yeah it's one of those episodes where you wonder i mean is this show gonna win an emmy for hair and makeup because just the scene alone where uh where jerry bus is doing his hair for that not to be his actual hair and just like to keep that all attached to his head as he goes through that huge uh that process to like combing out, you know, he looks like the, the, the Nicholas Cage meme, my hair, my hair is a bird. Your argument is invalid. Um, and then he, he combs it over and you think, wow, that really does look stupid, but you know, it, it but it fooled me. You know, I, I, I thought he was a confident guy with a full head of hair before this episode. Uh, Pat Riley's hair was spectacularly unkempt. Uh, to go along with his mustache, which I'm unsure if that's actually uh, Adrian Brody's mustache or if that's a prosthetic, because when you get it from the side a little bit, it sticks out just a little too much, I think. But, you know, it, and, and the Chick Hearn uh, scene where he's talking to Riley, I mean, that whole conversation, that scene did not need to exist except to see Chick Hearn doing his hair for three minutes straight you didn't need to see him riley trying to talk to him to get a job and then who else is yeah magic and norm nixon uh talking about fashion and hair uh you know magic has a lot to learn and he's and we'll talk about this later but people are going to be trying to he's probably gonna have different people tell him different things to do with his hair but yeah hair hair strong strong showing yeah, and you like that. I mean, it's it's you mentioned the maybe winning a, an Emmy for hair and makeup, and and I do think that that's something that the show is doing really well in transforming these people. And uh, we have a surprise number one coming up, and we'll talk about who that is. What a shocking reveal! We talk about the hair and the makeup and how fun that is, and I do think that's something they're absolutely nailing. Like Bus looks like Bus. All these people kind of disappear into these things there's a lot of tricks going on and that's really pleasing to the eye and that's one thing that i will say uh has remained consistent for the for the first three episodes number five is everybody's favorite misanthrope jerry west 
Not 100% sure why he's sticking around the Lakers to help them find a new coach when he has quit. It doesn't really make sense to me. You kind of explained that in the real world. That's kind of how it went down. But again, that's kind of like the butting up against this television docudrama and the real world and those choices not really fitting together and not feeling like part of a congruent tale. Uh, he was miserable again. Uh, bitched and moaned. I'll let you take the the reins on West, who at one point said he was going to hit the golf course and never come back. That was a lie, uh, says Maury. This guy, I don't know what Jerry West did to the showrunners to make oh my God. him the saddest sack, like most pathetic <laughs> thing on television that I've seen. And I know that there was a recent editorial written by someone who was with the team back then, I think he's high up in the Pistons organization right now, basically saying like, what are you guys doing to Jerry West? Like this is almost borderline unethical and cartoonish, but you wonder who he pissed off because this portrayal, as I heard from people who had seen more episodes than the first and second ones, is it only going to get worse? Because my man is down bad uh, and he's not coming off as a very sympathetic or human figure. Yeah, Jerry West, just every week there's going to be a news cycle where someone from the NBA in the 70s and 80s has to come forward and say, well, Jerry West, I mean, he wasn't that bad. Um, in this this episode, he was much more, uh, he was much more sad as uh, Jerry Buss in the beginning of the episode took over as being the angry one. And uh, West kind of retreated into, you know, like, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I, I don't want to be around. And like I said, it's one of those things where we know what's going to happen. So there's no real drama that like, we're going to have a tearful goodbye where Jerry West finally packs up his office and, you know, walks off into the sunset. We know that he's going to be with the Lakers for a long time. He's going to be around the NBA still to this day. And yeah, at some point, I feel like there must've been a game at uh, Staples Center over the last few years where Jerry West was there and Adam McKay went up to introduce himself to him and West just didn't have time to take a picture or something. And McKay's like, I shall have my revenge in this lifetime or the next. And the Showtime book falls on his desk and he's like, all right, fuck Jerry West. Let's do this. Let's ruin his life while he's still around to see it. Yeah. Uh, And also, most importantly, we had Jerry West. I had to take a screen grab of this. Um, when he was angry about the coaching search and he said, you gotta be dry fucking humping me, dude. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that is just an incredible line delivered by Jason Clark. Um, it's, we've got our, a new side of West where he's, he's leaning into being his executive self, even though he doesn't know it yet. Um, but yeah, West is here to stay. So he has to be in the rankings. You know, I got to say for as disappointed and depressing every moment of his life seems to be, my man still enjoys uh, a good bout of sex, uh, <laughs> even though if he declines to speak up uh, about future plans, another odd choice, uh, seems like he could have been tricked into uh, impregnating someone, the old classic, uh, yeah, just go with it. Uh, really weird. We're getting a lot of sex from Jerry West. None of it particularly (laughs) sexy, too, which is another thing that's uh, painting the full picture and and maybe stands to back up your theory about a Staples Center ugly incident. 
Number four, Jerry Buss. As I mentioned before, he takes a step back from the frame in this one. He's still crucial to the plot, but we kind of fill out some other characters. We mentioned the hair. That was dynamite. He gets his eyes set on Jerry Tarkanian, the UNLV coach, who gets a great backstory. And the episode revolves around Buss trying to wine and dine him and then also pay him 10 times his current salary and meet some shady characters along the way. I did think it was really cool to see the limitations of Buss's power uh, and people get over on him. His one trick does seem to be that he will give in to any demand somebody has money-wise without having the means to pay it. So through that lens, if we were to understand this tale as somewhat realistic as to what actually happened, he kind of seems like the luckiest son of a gun that ever existed. If his plan was to get Jerry T and then he had to fall back on Pat Riley, arguably the best coach in NBA history since the merger, it, it just is kind of baffling and bizarre uh, that. So it seems like in addition to having some skills, uh, Bus got very lucky uh, and the ball bounced his way more than one time. Yeah, uh, Dr. Bus, we saw him get taken advantage of a little more in this episode. Uh, you know, the the doorman at Jerry Tarkanian's restaurant, you know, was like, I don't know who you are. Uh, you know, took, took his entire role, his bankroll, they let him in. Um, he, he knows their money problems. He keeps talking about them, especially with his mom. He wants to keep it hidden from Jeannie uh, for some reason to keep morale high at, uh, in, in Lakers land. Uh, you know, he, he wants to make Tarkanian the highest paid coach, you know, whatever it takes. But, you know, it, it's quite a fall for Bus as, as the Bus the character. Um, you know, it seemed like after, after the first couple episodes, you know, he was kind of like the Logan Roy, as we talked about, that like he's just going to be at the top, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're showing him down bad a little bit. But also, you know, we, we know it's not really gonna nothing bad is going to happen like when they they showed the mob sending the bottle of champagne over and he's like well who the hell is that it's like there's no there's no real stakes for jerry bus the the las vegas mob is not going to uh give him any trouble um at least personally you know they they took his coach back but jerry bus down episode uh as you said he was he's not in the forefront this week so, you know, he, he had to fall. If you're hearing some noises, I'm actually feeding a newborn. Uh, and if you have problems with it, that's just <laughs> on you. Uh, it's 2022. We need to normalize men giving their newborns a bottle while mom is away while they're trying to record a podcast. Expand your mind. Number three, the introduction of Pat Riley, played by Adrian Brody. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know what the guy's deal is. Uh, he <laughs> loves his dad baseball bat. And he's here to tell us that dad had kind of like a moonlight Graham type existence in the major leagues, got four bats, got one hit. Uh, it, it spent the rest of his life trying to get back there. Kind of like an allegory for Riley story, although he was extremely decorated as a college basketball player. 
had success in the NBA as well. So I don't know why the ghost inspector of his dad hangs over him with such heavy weight. It has an interesting home life. Uh, I think that was the interaction between he and his wife. I like their interplay. Uh, it seems like it's kind of the healthiest in a way. It seems like Riley is receptive to feedback. It seems like he's desperate to figure out what is next for him. He wants to be a broadcaster, but he doesn't have the voice for it, but he's going to work at it. His wife makes him a honey-do list for the shed, and he'll get it done in the most insane possible <laughs> fashion imaginable. I like this character. I thought he seemed really human. I thought he seemed smart. I thought he seemed tough. I love that he was playing pickup ball in the park and taking an elbow to the face, but continuing to play. Uh, just so much to enjoy. He seemed rounded out and full of potential. So it didn't make a ton of sense why he was maybe assuming self-assuming the role of like this loser who's never done anything or amounted to anything because I would make the argument right now outside of magic he's probably the character that I enjoy the most like if I was to sit down and meet them and have a beer with it's it's quite a how do I say this it our introduction to Pat Riley uh, seems a lot more like our introduction to Phil Jackson would have been, uh, you know, kind of like a happy wanderer, you know, trying to find his place in the world at, based on, you know, what Jackson became and then based on what Riley became. Uh, you wonder how this, you know, nice, this nice guy who just wants to be around the game turned into like the godfather of the NBA, basically. Um yeah, what, what you want to jump in? It's so crazy you said that because I had the same thought. I was watching it and I was like, you know, for the first, the introduction to him is he has a, a van with flames painted on it and he's kind of <laughs> living this bohemian lifestyle and everything about it and the look too. I was like, oh, that's Phil Jackson. And I had to remind myself that it was Pat Riley because it was almost as if it was almost as if Brody had auditioned for the role of Jackson and was kind of playing the role of Jackson. Now, I don't know how close those two are in reality when it comes to their personality, but I just think it's so crazy that you had the same thought when I was sitting there being like, what am I missing? This feels like at least one party, whether it's the someone writing it, acting it or envisioning it went ahead with the idea that they were going to show the Phil Jackson era uh, of the Lakers. And it got into this 80s series. So I just thought it was so cool that you mentioned that. And I'm sure if we felt that way, everybody at home was probably feeling it as well. Yeah. It's a very different Pat Riley than the one we've uh, grown to know and love in the last you know 20 years as basketball fans. Uh, I, I liked uh, Gillian Jacobs as his wife. Um, she's you know she has a job she gets to say well i used to be a married to a professional athlete and you know she gives him guidance like well you know go find something to do and start by taking down the vines and as you were doing the intro to this character talking about feeding the baby and doing a podcast i thought you know that that garage would be a hell of a podcast studio if you know if this if this was taking place now pat riley would be like he'd be into podcasting he never would have went back to coaching um, I don't know if he has the voice for it, although you can have kind yeah. of 
a more effeminate voice, uh, as Chick Hearn would uh, would so eloquently say, in the podcasting world, you're going to be accepted. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, the podcast studio was not to be, as he went up to uh, clear the ivy with a set of uh, clippers. Uh, they did not work, so you know he he went for the chainsaw. Um, as he started to get more frustrated, he's taking a chainsaw to the ivy. He cuts himself in the leg with a chainsaw, uh, does not take a break to wrap it up or wash it or anything. And pretty much the next thing you see, he's dismantled the entire garage, which is uh, one of the more insane things I've ever seen on a television show. A, a character based in reality just tearing apart their garage. And then he's sitting there in the ruins with the bat and his wife comes and is like, well, did you get it out of your system? I mean, I, I mean, we should pause and go to Google because we need to know if Pat Riley actually did this. Because if he did, maybe that explains the, uh, the transformation from the cuddly uh, lost Riley to the current one. And the scene is weird too, because like he obviously holds that bat in such reverence it's sort of his rosebud, but it would have been like in the Citizen Kane if he had used the sled to like bludgeon someone over the head. It was, <laughs> it was kind of like a lack of care shown. Number two, moving on, remaining at number two in the rankings is Magic Johnson through the lens of the battle for his soul. They laid it on pretty thick here. Uh, you had the better angels of his nature existing back in Lansing with his family calling him and asking him if he's found a church, a bunch <laughs> of responsible stuff interspersed kind of like with some eyes wide shut scenes, uh, some real graphic stuff. I mean, if you thought you were going to get through this series without magic Johnson performing like all four <laughs> acts, you seeing a typical porno no you would not uh it went right right to script right kind of in the agreed upon procedure and presenting this stuff yeah i i the cookiness of it all like she remains a, a very sympathetic figure you want more of her you want her in his life uh he's confronted with a lot of new friends with conflicting motivations do you want to tick through all the people who are going to be in Magic Johnson's orbit uh, going forward and where they're trying to lead him? Oh, well, yeah. As, as you mentioned, we've got the family at home. Uh, you got Cookie, who are, you know, they're the good side. Uh, Norm Nixon is trying to, he's got a, like a big brother, little brother relationship budding with him, where he's trying to guide him and show him how to live his life as a professional athlete, how to dress well, how to get his hair done. Um, yeah, and then our introduction to uh, our man Zastro with the uh, impeccable cards. Uh, Patrick Bateman would be jealous of the Z. Um, Zastro has some. I know I I saw them described as parties, but I'm pretty sure it's just a whorehouse. And Magic takes full full advantage of this. Uh, he samples pretty much everything on the menu we saw and. That uh, little, I mean, you know, as 19 year old in this show, uh, it, you have to wonder, does this take place in the Euphoria universe? Because, you know, you've got a teenager having 
lots of ill-advised sex here um, in many different positions. Uh, you know, it's played for comedy as he's doing it cut together with his uh, conversations with his parents about finding a church and with Cookie about, you know, just L.A. being kind of boring. Um, and then when he meets Zastro, Jamal Wilkes is right there. And he's like, he doesn't have anything to lose. You have a lot to lose. And it's, and obviously Dr. Jerry Buss tried to have a little lunch with him, but he had to go take care of uh, Jerry Tarkanian. We had the funny little moment where he thought Jeannie Buss was Dr. Buss's uh, girlfriend, um, where they have, they cheers a Coke together, you know, which is wholesome content. So, you know, magic, obviously he went through it. He had a lot of, a lot of, as, as a young, rich, rich man in the city of angels, he's going to have a lot of people uh, pulling at him, trying to get him and go and get him to go in different directions. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. A stunning lack of court vision and awareness for magic <laughs> uh, in, in the scene with Jeannie bus. I feel like he had two opportunities to realize who he was speaking with. I also thought he would have probably known, who that was that didn't make a tremendous amount of sense yeah and it's and it's so crazy because you saw not that magic and not that Irvin Johnson was infallible before this episode but it does feel like he's kind of being manipulated uh and I thought that the line about someone not having anything to lose, but you having everything to lose was a really beautiful one. Never heard it put that way, but that makes a lot of sense. And it's a story as old of time when it comes to like athletes who come from humble beginnings and suddenly have it all. And then kind of like the wider net that they attract. I thought that was a really beautiful summation about how it can often go wrong. And number one on our list, a new leader atop the board, but a dynamo performance uh, I have to say, after seeing what happened here, uh, the rewatchables re always does. Could this be made into a 10 episode Netflix series? And let me tell you, I think I would watch the 10 episode Netflix series about Jerry Tarkanian, a successful but disgraced UNLV coach, the old towel biter himself. Let's start right here, Stephen, by explaining to people who was even playing this role and where they might've seen this guy before this uh, role, Jerry Tarkanian. Uh, it, it really goes with, with the hair theme of the episode. Uh, we have bald Jerry Tarkanian played by Rory Cochran, who was Slater, the, uh, the burnout on in days to confused the guy with the long hair with the, with the hat. Um, just unrecognizable. I had to look it up. I've always liked Rory Cochran and uh, a lot of the stuff he's done. Uh, but yeah, just unrecognizable. Uh, he was he was very good. Um, I really like the character. It's very interesting. Um, and it's one of those things where, uh, and I had no idea about this. I haven't, I hadn't read Winning, Winning Time and this entire recruitment happened before I was even born. So to find out that Tark the Shark was literally almost the coach of the Lakers was kind of surprising. What stood out to you about his interactions with Bus? And I think I said this before, it seemed like he was more than capable of 
punching at that weight class and maybe even above with it. And it seems like that's rarely been shown before where bus kind of has a, a, a worthy sparring partner. Yeah. Uh, Tarkanian pretty clearly uh, runs Vegas, at least the basketball in Vegas. Um, he, he doesn't really have to answer to any outsiders. You know, Jerry West comes in, asks, wants him to leave and go to Los Angeles. You know, he doesn't like Los Angeles. He likes eating at his restaurants in Las Vegas. Um, he, but he's also, he's very good at his job. He's also paranoid, which he had reason to be because he, you know, cheated. Maybe, maybe he cheated less effectively than other coaches at the time. Cause I'm, I'm sure that he wasn't the only person uh, paying off recruits. Um, and, uh, pick and roll with the salt shakers where he leaves a lot of hundreds uh, behind one of them. Not sure why you would need to do that uh, when you're in the recruits home, who are you trying to trick mom? Like I, it's, it's really weird. Like uh, we're going to use the pepper as a screener and do a little slip pass to, uh, to this C note for you. Yeah. I didn't know if that was supposed to be like a little sleight of hand just to, you know, make him seem more Vegasy. Um, but you know, he was, we had the conversation about the hair where, you know, he goes right at Jerry West, like, you know, it looked like a play of spaghetti. And as you, when you point it out and see the work that goes into it, you really can tell that Jerry Buss's hair was ridiculous. Um, but this is another thing that, you know, as I learned about this, I went and I looked it up and that's when I found out that Jack Kent Cook in real life was still involved with this. He was the one that made this, he was at the meeting with uh, Tarkanian. He made the offer and where the 10 times scene was kind of true, where Tarkanian was making like 70,000 at UNLV and they offered him like 350,000 or they, they said, what kind of money would it take to get you to come to Los Angeles? He's like him or the, uh, or his buddy there then ends up dying said, well, you'll have to double the uh, $350,000 salary, which he didn't make. And there, Jack Kent Cook was like, okay. So, and then it, it kind of was a mob hit his friend, but it, it wasn't, it, what I saw didn't have anything to do with Tarkanian going to the Lakers. It was just weird timing. And apparently they made another run at him like a year later. So it it was it was some interesting stuff and and interesting decisions on timeline and you know what characters get to stick around. Yeah, the 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 mob hit uh, in the business card being found oh, yeah. guys as if uh, they had it was the boatman of the river sticks for the journey over uh, the Lakers business card. Uh, you know, let's see Paul Allen's card, um, but it didn't make a ton of sense to me obviously done for effect. I mean, it, it is a show at the end of the day. And I think that yeah. you come on here and complain and moan about things being historically accurate would kind of like, you know, be kind of lame to do anyway, but it is distracting at, at certain points and that's fine. And I think that goes back to the larger point that we made at the top that we kind of wanted to end this episode on is really see some cracks, really see some weaknesses some flaws in the game plan here. I think that you and I both think that there's going to be enough to sustain this. I think watching this show is a good body buzz. And even if it kind of like annoys us, 
and uh-huh. doesn't live up to the hype, I still think it's going to be wildly entertaining and maybe in those shortcomings also be really interesting. And that's something to be said for a piece of art that even if it isn't as good as you expect it or meet the expectations, there's still a tremendous amount of value. And maybe it goes back to where I started here by saying, how does a plane stay in the air? You know, you don't really think about it. Your, your wheels just land softly on the ground. Not 100% sure we're going to get there. Maybe we will. Uh, I would only say that we just experienced some unexpected turbulence here about a third of the way through the first flight. Yeah, we were. there's some Game of Thrones season six uh, vibes here where we we're unsure if they really know the landing point or how they're going to get there with everybody. But I guess the good thing is that the source material does, does already exist. So if uh, the worst case scenario is they can stick to what actually happened because, you know, it's pretty entertaining. And obviously there's a great cast of characters to work with. That's best of seven winning time power rankings for episode three. He's Stephen Douglas. I'm Kyle Coster. Keep checking out thebiglead.com. I have a podcast. That's right, buddy. I have a podcast called The Kyle Coster Show. We're signing off to go be dads. Bye.